Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we'd go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Basketball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Fantasy Baseball Today, special holiday gift for you. The return of Scott White. Scott, Woo! two weeks. did I miss? Two weeks off, Scott. We missed you. Well, yeah. I, I, I missed you, too, but I've been missing you for a long time, Adam, not just the last That's two true. weeks. Yeah, everybody has been. I assume everybody's been missing me for a long time. Well, I'm here. Scott's here. Uh, Chris is not. Chris had a uh, an emergency dental appointment. I'm not sure if I should. Is this a HIPAA violation? I'm not sure I should have announced that. But mm, we wish him know. and his teeth the best. We are going to talk about a few average draft position notes. Uh, why is Nolan Arenado all of a sudden ninth? when he's basically <laughs> the same guy he's always been, and that's usually been like a top-five pick. Uh, is our Glaber Torres and Rafael Devers going a little bit too high? Why does everybody hate Charlie Blackman? He's looks like a total steal to me. And what about Josh Bell? No respect for Josh Bell. First, though, somebody sent us an email and said, hey, what, ha- what happened in September? I missed it. I stopped playing. So that's going to be the cr- uh, big portion of this show. Scott, you have a great article up. How can people find it? It's it's a little old now, but yeah, it's very from October first. Very but, useful. Uh, you know, nobody was paying attention to baseball back then, so uh, I, I guess I could republish it. It's not like any of the numbers have changed, but anyway, thirty-two things you may have missed with the start of fantasy football, and uh, that's a lot of things. Uh, well, yeah, and it's also kind of just an arbitrary number, right? Usually, it'd be like tens or fives. You know, that's what you choose. But I right. just went with whatever I had, and it was 32. Well, that is 32 weird. 32 things you may have missed with the start of fantasy football. So it, it includes, it, it basically starts from August 1st, uh, not just September, like the emailer uh, was right. asking. But a lot of good information from there, and, and a lot of big things that you need to know about. So I would recommend Googling it. That's probably the easiest way to find it. But um, I'll look into getting it republished okay. because the information's still good. No, it's really, really good information. It's really, really useful, and it's stuff we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks and months as we get you ready for the fantasy baseball season. Now, uh, the I'll give you a few news items. The Dodgers signed Jimmy Nelson. Do you care, Scott White? I don't really. I mean, 
I, I, I think if there's any organization that can help him recapture his form, it's, well, it's probably the Astros, but the Dodgers are high on that list. Uh, but they have so many rotation pieces, and I just can't imagine he's going to be high in that pecking order. The White Sox signed Steve, she- uh, Steve Shishek selling seashells. <laughs> Shishek. The White Sox signed Steve Shishek. <laughs> and it's a one-year deal. Shishek, <laughs> yeah. One-year yeah. deal, $6 million. Uh, he's been with the Cubs recently. He's been around Marlins, Mariners, and he's had a really good career. 269 career ERA, four straight seasons with a sub-3 ERA. Steve Shishek is basically always good. Um, they have Alex Colome, who had a nice year, thirty saves. He had a two eighty ERA. Uh, what do you you know? What do you make of this Shishek shining? <laughs> and then much. and then let's never speak of it again. <laughs> Hopefully, we won't need to. Uh, I prefer predictability at the back end of bullpens. I mean, Shishek is a guy who could capably close, but seems like the White Sox already have one of those in Alex Colome. I don't think Colome is. Such a lockdown option that uh, it's it's unthinkable C-Shek could take over at some point this year, but it's not something I'm expecting either. I think he's uh, you'd have to you'd have to play in a league that goes pretty deep into the middle reliever pool to get into C-Shek. I feel like yeah, he's not like a super strikeout guy or anything like that, but he's solid. But I think it's just like if Alex Colome struggles, blows two saves in a row or something. We're going to be right. like, hey, pick up Steve Ciszek. Yeah. And in like in an AL only league, he's probably the clearest handcuff for Colome at right. this point. Right. And finally, the Red Sox used their replay room to steal signals in 2018 when they won the World Series. So, all right, everybody. You know I've been saying it for weeks now. We are stripping the Astros of their 2019, <laughs> 2017 championship. We are stripping the. Red Sox of their 2018 championship. We no, have no not. choice. No, we're not. They're cheating. This revisionist history is stupid. It's stupid when the NCAA does it. Nobody takes it seriously. Everybody still thinks the Reggie Bush USC team won a championship, and no amount of uh, stripping of titles is going to change that. Did you miss my text tone? 33 too? things you missed in August uh, and September. Um, Scott's I, I, and I was I learned on uh, Twitter yesterday that apparently it's appropriate, inappropriate to ever have sounds play on your phone. What? That is not something people do anymore. Yeah, but in the house, like I need to turn the sound on or else I miss right. calls or FaceTime. Right, but apparently we're weirdos, Adam. Apparently... People are so like adjoined to their phones that it's always on a surface directly right. in front of it, and they're just periodically glancing down at it, and and I've always being aware when somebody tries to contact them. Me, if I go, like if I go to a movie or something or somewhere else where I have to turn the volume down, and I forget to turn it back up after I come out of it. I could go 24 hours without checking my phone and then come back to like eight text messages. 24 you know? hours without texting, without checking could, your phone? I could. Holy I mean, I cow. pretty much just text my wife. I don't like texting. Well, you texted me today. Well, yeah. My wife and, and work stuff. <laughs> All right, Scott. Here's our email of the day. Uh, it's from Daniel. Please consider putting together a show based on September All-Stars. Which players historically have the best stats of the month of September? No one remembers the regular season champion. Their name isn't engraved on the trophy. So, we'll, you know, we won't do exactly that, Daniel, but we did use this as inspiration for today's show. 
and players that really stood out in the last two months of the 2019 season. Were there any that, I mean, really headline it for you? Well, I think maybe Garrett Hampson, and it, it wasn't even the, all of the last two months, but, it, you know, if, if you tuned out in mid-September, even, you missed kind of the whole Garrett Hampson phenomenon, and you're probably still thinking him, of him as that trendy sleeper who did absolutely nothing in, uh, in 2019. He did do nothing until... You know, those final few weeks, final 16 games to be exact. He hit 343 with five homers, seven steals in 16 games, remember, and uh, struck out 13 times. So, uh, I, and I think I remember he made some kind of change with his, his swing and, you know, the usual, I mean, not the usual, but there, there were actual reasons behind this explosion other than just he randomly got hot at, against, I guess, third tier bullpen arms or something like that. Um, By the way, Scott, four yeah. of those five home runs were on the road. Two of them were in San Francisco at San Francisco. One was at the Dodgers. There you go. And Big two, old park. Two at the Dodgers, pardon me, in two separate games. Then he had a two homer game. Uh, he had eight plate appearances. So that was a 16 inning game, but at the and, Giants. And look, I don't, I don't know. Like Hampson struck me as a guy coming up, uh, particularly heading into last season who had good, extra base power I thought maybe maybe he could top out as like an Adam Eaton power wise so I'm not I'm not sure that you know five homers in 16 games I'm not sure that that's something he's going to build on maybe it is I don't know but it's more just the seven steals uh in in an environment that is so steals poor and uh, you know he's obviously going to be playing in Colorado so that's going to help his BABIP going to give him a a much higher batting average ceiling. Uh, if he, he and, and I think he's he can play second base. I think he's really good in center field. I think I remember seeing that, and uh, that might be where the Rockies have a bigger need. So if he can, he can secure that job or full time at bats, just moving all over the place. Uh, I think he's going to deserve an even higher pick than he did, even even deserve more sleeper hype than he did going into 2019. So he is on Fantasy Pros. They have ADP up now. Garrett Hampson's in a group of three players who, depending on your league, depending on where you play, might have, uh, well, they'll have infield eligibility. Well, I don't know about Senzel because I don't think Senzel, Senzel's just outfield eligible, right? Right now for us? Yes. Okay. So it's Kingery, Hampson, Senzel, back to back to back. They're 175th overall, basically. Uh, what do you think? Who would you prefer there? Scott Kingery, Garrett Hampson, Nick Senzel. I would prefer Hampson. Um, you know what? I think Senzel actually. And Roto, I might go Hampson just because of the, of the steals need. But if we're talking to points league, Senzel. So it's kind of split. All right. So Hampson was one headliner. Who else really stood out to you the last two months? Do you know the name Tommy Edmond, Adam? I do. On the St. Louis Cardinals, he was batting leadoff, I believe, toward the end of the year. Yes, he was, and he also went crazy at the end of the season and went from being kind of just this space filler in the lineup. I felt like, you know, another another just obscure infielder that the Cardinals bring up and, and give it bats for some silly reason like Daniel Descalso, somebody in that mold. 
Um, but he started to look a lot more interesting than that toward the end of the season. He, uh, in September alone, he was six for six in stolen bases, but he also had six homers, four doubles, and six, no, six homers, four triples, and six doubles. And uh, that brought his season numbers up to a 304 batting average and an 850 OPS. Um, With 15 steals in 92 games. Yeah, yeah. So it's an, it's another situation of, okay, well, this guy, by today's standard, looks like a prolific base stealer. 15 for 16 in steals in half a season's, basically half a season's time, as he pointed out. If he can provide anything at the plate, he's going to be a big deal in fantasy. And I think he's definitely built to hit for average. The power in September, kind of like Hampson, a little surprising, but not totally unbelievable either. I think I think there's I think there's a chance he ends up becoming like a must start player in fantasy and, and certainly in standard five by five roto leagues, he's gonna get drafted in the middle rounds just for the steals potential. So this is Tommy Edmond, he's twenty four, he'll be twenty five in May. He became the leadoff hitter for the Cardinals, batted three oh four with eleven homers and fifteen steals in ninety two games and you know, it was pretty much good, you know, the entire time he was up, but was really, really good in August and September, as Scott mentioned. And uh, he's a switch hitter, which is nice. And his splits were pretty even against lefties and righties. Now, he didn't... I said he batted leadoff. He did a bit. He he kind of split between leadoff and batting second. But either way, you're going to take that. Um, so, yeah. Did Wait, yep. did I ask you where he was eligible? Second and third base. Second and third, okay. Um, Jorge Soler, you talked about in your article and how he became more of an all-around hitter. Wasn't just an all-or-nothing power guy. He, I think, was third in baseball in home runs. Behind, yeah. Behind, like, yeah. If, you, if you said, hey, who who hit the most? Who are the top three in home runs last year? Would anybody know? Think about it out there, people. I'm going to give you like five seconds. Who were the top three in home runs? One of them was a rookie. He's, he hit 50. Are you 51, I think? Pete Alonzo was one. Eugenio Suarez was two, and Jorge Soler was three. So, uh, interesting thing with Soler, like his plate discipline got better mm-hmm. after the All Star break, but in in September, much better. Much better. Yeah, in, in in July and August, it was based, it was one to one walk to strikeout, which is crazy considering where Jorge Soler came from. In September, and yeah, it wasn't as good in September. Yeah, it was eleven but it was eleven still, walks, twenty eight strikeouts. It was still greatly improved from. The first three months greatly improved from the season long numbers. I mean, he was he was a different player in the second half uh, when the fewest people were paying attention. And not only that, not only did he improve the plate discipline, but his line drive rate went way up in September too. He wasn't on balls in play. He wasn't uh, as easy of an out. He raised his BABIP ceiling. He kind of he he. Like it was, it was impressive enough that he had this big power breakthrough that we were waiting years for. Back to when he was playing for the Cubs, this power breakthrough, and then he showed that that like that there's a chance for him to be an all-around good player. Like you said, it it the batted ball profile from the second half looks a lot like MVP season Giancarlo Stanton to me. I wow. mean, it's it's very impressive what he was able to do at the plate. His hard hit rate. Uh, was off the charts. Like I, I think 
I think there are going to be some people who look at Jorge Soler heading into 2019 and think, okay, career season. I uh, I should know better to invest in this guy. But I, I think he may just be scratching the surface of his potential, and he's somebody I expect to have a lot of shares in. I'm so torn because, you know, if they make changes to the baseball, I think you have to look at players whose primary uh, primary source of fantasy production was the home run. And if you look at the season-long numbers from Jorge Soler, that's definitely the case. He hit 265 and he stole three bases. But 48 home runs and 117 RBIs, 95 runs. He played 162 games, by the way. So mm-hmm. if Jorge Soler is a 260 hitter and the home runs come down, they're gonna you know, he's, they're gonna come down, right? He's not gonna hit 48. They would come down for everybody. And I, yeah. I think Jorge Soler is less worrisome than like a just going off the top of my head, but like a Cattell Marte because Jorge Soler, in terms of how hard he hits the ball. Uh, the launch angle and all that. I mean, he's a power hitter. Um, I see. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's a home run hitter, and I think he's a home run hitter no matter what ball is in play. He does, I, I he think does it was hit just the ball. A breakout. Hard. I don't yeah. think it was a ball related thing. I mean, the fact that it, the number, the exact number of home runs he hit was forty eight. Okay, that's probably ball related, but you know, it, it would it would affect everybody, like it would affect him if there was a change. And I'm not even really like factoring that in because i have no reason to believe that's happening okay you know it's it's just kind of a it's such an random variable that uh it's not even worth accounting for to me unless we hear something unless we hear something concrete which i don't expect we will the ball you mean yeah because there have been there's been so much denial well, uh, no. along the way, I don't know that there's been denial. I mean, they've pretty been pretty open about the ball needing to change and that there's something different about the drag on the ball. I think they've mm. been sort of vague about you know the exact cause of it, but right. the home the runs cause and and the exact effect has been vague. But the home runs were down in the postseason, and so I'm wondering if a change is already in place. Yeah, noticeably, I think you know, like some teams it, were talking about there. Like, were, there were some people speculating, but. It's it, the there have been other reasons suggested for why that may be other than them going back to the old balls. I I don't I don't remember what they are off the top of my head, which makes this not very useful to bring up. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I I think I I don't think you should use that as that should be your reason to assume that anything's going to be different in 2020. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But it's just the uh, the impact is too far reaching and it's too like it's just way too speculative for me to really even factor into my my thinking. Talking about Solaire, he he him being just a power hitter. Here are your top. Let's go top eight in uh, home run to fly ball rate last year. Christian Yelich, Nelson Cruz, Framil Reyes. Pete Alonso, George Springer, Eugenio Suarez, Jorge Soler, and Eloy Jimenez. All of them had a home run to fly ball rate of 27% or higher. Soler was 7th overall, 28.1%. But his batted ball data, like his hard contact rate, soft contact rate, it compares very favorably to everyone on this list. Um, you know, 46.8% hard contact rate. The, the one who really stands out with, in terms of hard contact rate being an outlier is is Eloy Jimenez because everyone on this list has 42% hard contact rate or better other than Eloy who's at 
0.1%. More, That's fan graphs, right? Yeah, this is fan graphs. Okay. But, Different but ba- from StatCast. Basically, Jorge Soler hits the crap out of the ball, and, and mm-hmm. you can justify a high home run to fly ball rate. Because you know that's because the other guys in that range also hit the ball hard. Okay, uh, Kyle Schwarber, he's interesting. Scott, what did we see from Kyle Schwarber in the second or you know last couple months? So I had kind of written off Kyle Schwarber as not exactly a failed prospect, but a, a a disappointment given the hype coming in, given how high he was drafted, because it looked like he was just going to be this uh, slugging platoon bat and uh, not really. Uh, not really a transcendent or even high end kind of player, but he took steps toward becoming a middle of the the lineup force over the past over the final two months of 2019, hitting 304 with 14 homers and a 1043 OPS. More significant than those actual numbers, though, is kind of like Jorge Soler. He reduced his strikeout rate. He upped his line drive rate, which improves the bat, uh, the the BABIP ceiling. Obviously, both of those together improve the batting average ceiling. Maybe not just a home run guy if he can sustain those rates. Um, I will also point out that while the season season long numbers were the best of his career, his XBA expected batting average and XWOBA were both actually lower than his batting average in Woba. So he actually underachieved according to those peripherals, which also suggests that there are better times ahead for Kyle Schwarber. And uh, maybe we need to start classifying him as a top 36 type outfielder again. (sighs) I don't know, man. He's had, Kyle Schwarber's had, sorry for clearing my throat on the air there, He's had good half seasons before. 2017, after the All-Star break, he hit 253 with 17 homers in 61 games. He slugged 559. 2018, before the All-Star break, he, he hit 249. He hit with 18 home runs in 83 games. So he was on pace for more. He's, he's going to hit more than 30 home runs. Um, this was better though. This was, yeah. As you this was better. Way better. This was better. And, and I don't know that the peripherals backed up everything Maybe. as well as, as they did for Schwarber but this year. I mean, I'm I'm looking beyond just, oh, this guy hit a bunch of home runs this month. No, I, no. I get you. The batting average was much better. The last two months, he hit 304. He had a 349 right. that, That's where the clearest improvements were. But he had 349 Babbitt. And here's the thing. In his last 53 games, the Cubs faced 10 left-handed starters. They faced for the season... The second they saw the second fewest at bats against left-handed pitchers, so I don't even know if that's fluky because three of the top or three of the bottom five, I guess, three of the five teams that faced the fewest lefties in terms of at bats, not plate appearances, but at bats, were in the National League Central. And you take a example, for example, the National League West consistently high uh, at bats against lefties year after year, not so much 2019, but before that. So maybe it's just a division that has a lot of righties, and he has always hit righties well. Uh, so yeah. that's something to keep in mind, but he just he, didn't he hit face lefties, lefties better last year. I mean, not great, but better. better enough to think that he's going to get more playing time against well, them. He hit 229, and, but with power. You know, you pointed to the, a 350-ish BABIP during that stretch where he was batting over 300. We're not asking him to hit over 300. We're asking him to hit better than the 238 he did in 2018 and the 211 he did in 2017. If he can hit 
260, 265 with that kind of power. Always had a good batting eye. I mean, he he becomes Max Muncy, but in the outfield, basically, at that point. He's going ahead of, I know they play different positions, but he's going ahead of Justin Turner. He's going ahead of uh, Fran Mill Reyes, which, uh, you know, it's fine. Fran Mill, yeah, I definitely do that. Justin Turner, third base is so deep that it might just be a, a case of Turner getting squeezed out there, but in terms of what I expect them to do with the plate, I'd still prefer Turner. And he's going, Schwarber's going ahead of J.D. Davis, and that's the last guy we'll talk about because J.D. Davis was nearly a fantasy winner for me. They, they just didn't play him every day, and it didn't make any sense because he was practically their best hitter down the stretch for the Mets. And I know J.D. Davis, what he did really caught your eye. And who would you rather have, Schwarber or J.D. Davis? Man, I was lapping up some J.D. Davis every opportunity I got in the second half. And for a while, he was getting regular playing time, right? But then everybody came back at full health, and he he got pushed out again, shockingly. Uh, I would prefer... um, I have to consult my rankings. And my rankings may not account for uh, some of the off-season moves that have been made. Not that there have been many for these two teams. Uh, but I I would prefer Schwarber uh, because I am more confident in the playing time. But I think J.D. Davis is a, is a more well-rounded hitter, and if I could trust the playing time to be there, I would probably take him instead. So it's it's close. I have Schwarber 39th among outfielders. I have J.D. Davis 44th. That's in standard roto. J.D. Davis is is kind of like uh, Kyle Schwarber, though, that even though he had career best numbers, he underachieved his ex-BA and ex-WOBA. So, like, peripherally, peripherally, peripherally C-check. he should have been even better <laughs> than he was. But that's so weird because in the second half, after the All-Star break, J.D. Davis had a 396 BABIP. So how does someone who had a 396 BABIP in the second half underperform? I know you're giving... BABIP in the first half. Well, yeah, you're giving full season stats, I guess. But we're not really paying attention to what he did at the beginning of the season. And part of it is I'm kind of... The reason I'm citing XBA more than more, and it's... Look, it, it, it has its own shortcomings. It's not a perfect stat. I think it accounts for more things than BABIP does. I, I kind of feel like, for our purposes at least, BABIP is becoming a little outdated because we see the wide range of... Ex, ex, like th- There was an assumption when the BABIP analysis became mainstream that, oh, everybody should finish with about a 300 BABIP, but we're seeing <laughs> hitters fall into very different places on the BABIP spectrum. So uh, J.D. Davis... Part of the reason his XBA is so high is because he profiles for a very high BABIP. His season-long mark was 355, which made him a 307 hitter. He hits the ball hard. He doesn't hit many fly balls. He hits a lot of line drives. He hits to all fields. All of that is good for BABIP. And while I would not expect his second-half BABIP of near 400, like you said, to persist, maybe the season-long mark of 355 isn't so far-fetched. Okay, that's a sneak peek at 32 things you may have missed. What's the full title? Well, I may change it if I'm republishing it. I may not mention fantasy football in there, but it's 32 things you may have missed in with August the start and of fantasy football. Yeah. I may change it to like at the end of 2019 or All something right. like that. Check it out. You know what, Scott? You'll just, have to just tweet it. Just tweet it, Scott. 
Just tweet it? Yeah. Yeah, that's easier. At CBS Scott White. I am at Adam Azer, A-I-Z-E-R. And uh, we will, yeah, we'll answer some questions via Twitter, via email, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. We do have some of your emails in the show. I have some ADP questions based on Fantasy Pro's average draft position. Why is Nolan Arenado coming off a 315-41-118 season with 102 (laughs) runs, by the way, uh, going ninth overall? He's perhaps even better than he's ever been, slightly, uh, except he's not driving in 130 runs, only 118 last year. And uh, ninth now when, you know, he was always safely, you know, four to six. I know it's not a huge difference, but... yeah. I, you know what? The thing is, it really makes sense <laughs> when you look at ADP because it's a bunch of steals guys that go ahead of him plus like Garrett Cole. And then I think the one, well, all right, here's ADP. Acuna, <laughs> Trout, Yelich, Bellinger, Betts, Garrett Cole, Bregman, Lindor, Arenado. And I think there's a plenty plenty of debate there, but uh, Bregman, Lindor, Arenado, Scott. So what do you think? So... Yeah, we're going to be asking these kinds of questions a lot this year. I know Chris Towers on Twitter yesterday was aghast that Max Muncy was going in the seventh round on average. Like, coming off a record-setting season like we had with all the home runs, there are a lot of hitters who had incredible seasons, more than... Honestly, I look at some of the hitters going in the fifth round and think these are first round type numbers these guys put up. It's and and it's it's not a case of okay, well you have to adjust your thinking because you know the the baseline for what greatness is went up. I mean it's a little bit of that, but part of it's too. It's just greatness got redistributed a little more evenly across the 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 whole hitter spectrum, so that. Um, uh, honestly, I th- there's I, I I don't see a whole lot of elasticity there among the top fifty or so hitters. Like I I don't have a major preference for uh, um y- you know uh, like George Springer. I could take you could see go l- as late as round five, but his numbers are comparable to like a uh, Juan Soto who sometimes goes at the end of round one. So. Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, we're going to be getting a lot of those types of questions, specifically in Arenado's case. And, you know, I've long been in Arenado's corner. I love the consistency from him. I think you you take him with your first round pick. There's just nothing you have to worry about um, in terms of, you know, missing there. But I have him 10th in my roto ranking. So actually a spot lower. I have him 13th in my head to head rankings. A lot of it is just there's a greater need to go after the big arms early in drafts since the drop off there is much, 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 much steeper than when the good hitters run out. I'm not sure the good hitters ever run out in a standard 12 team draft, frankly. Um, so I got to get Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, at least in points leagues. I got Scherzer ahead of Arenado as well. Um, and part of it is third base is insanely deep. I, I mentioned Justin Turner a reason he might get passed over for Kyle Schwarber is because everybody already has a third baseman or two. Justin Turner is like my 20th ranked third baseman. And it's not like he did anything wrong other than get hurt again last year. It's just, there's so much. But what isn't deep? Like, 
What well, what hitting position is, isn't deep? You're right. What isn't deep? Catcher, which you know is even yeah, better than last right, year. Second yeah. base, maybe. But so third I, I, base is just just takes it to another level with the fact that I can't even get Justin Turner. I could barely get him in my top twenty. I, don't even I know got if I Vladimir care. Guerrero outside my top twelve at third base, knowing all the potential he has. And I know I'm an oddball as far as that goes, but it I just have a hard time justifying him over all the proven studs at the position. Yeah. So it's um I don't just I, fact, Scott, I then, don't I don't know if I care. Uh, I don't know yet. I, I have to do some more drafts. But I don't know if I care about position uh, with hitters anymore. I just just give me production, and yeah. I'll just figure out position. Well, even at the high end, uh, even if you don't want to talk about that aspect so much, which you know you you could conceivably stock everybody's utility spot with a third baseman. That's how many good third right. baseman. Just everybody dedicates their utility spot as a second third base spot and and will be fine probably in a 12 team league um but beyond that alex bregman and even more so anthony rendon have really closed the gap so that the the difference between those three is you know you're kind of splitting hairs and in different formats i would probably rank them differently but they're all like basically the same kind of hitter and uh, you can, you know, if you miss out on Arenado, I actually have Bregman ahead of Arenado. If you miss out on either of those, there's still Rendon, who very likely will put up numbers that are just as good. I think Bregman ahead of Arenado is the right call in a points league because the plate discipline is just, it's so much better. And the doubles are, are so much better, I, well, potentially. Uh, but, because I don't think Arenado's a big doubles guy. But uh, in a Roto league, I don't, I think I, I oh, no right. in, in a roto league I right. would take Arenado over over Bregman. Yeah, you're right. I do too. I okay. should have clarified that. Um, okay. I have I actually have Arenado tenth overall. As I mentioned, I have Bregman eleventh overall in standard roto, and I have Rendon fourteenth overall in points. The order of those three is Bregman, Rendon, Arenado. I actually have Arenado the third of the three, though I may talk myself out of that just given Rendon's right. injury history. Yeah, and Rendon coming off a career year and Arenado basically assured of hitting around 40 home runs with about 115 RBIs, more than a hundred runs. And is he a 315 hitter? I don't know, but he's probably a 300 hitter. So he's so consistent. And the thing is like, why is no one Arenado going ninth? And I'm not even disagreeing with it. I just think it's, right. it's a really, really good pick at nine. The only thing right. is he, he has stolen two or three bases every year of his career. You are putting yourself in a bind if you think you can get Trevor Story or Trey Turner in round two. That's a great pairing with Arenado, and that's realistic with ADP because Turner's or Story is twelve, and Turner's fourteen. So it's not guaranteed, but it's possible. Um, I don't know if you want to reach for Tatis in round two to get some steals. I don't know if you want to go for. Uh, maybe Starling Marte or Jonathan VR in round three to get some steals, but you know Acuna, Trout, Yelich, uh, Lindor—they're going to steal some bases, and Arenado is going to be a huge detriment in that category. Uh, all right, Scott, let's go to our second question: Is Rafael Devers really worth a second-round pick? Are you buying him as a round-two pick, Rafael Devers? So I have him in my second round toward the end. 
I'm torn about it though because I do feel like just judging from from the actual numbers, um, specifically the fact that his BABIP was high in a way that doesn't look sustainable to me. I, I think he overachieved last year, not in a huge way, not in a oh he's going to come crashing back to down to earth sort of way, but yeah, he overachieved. I don't expect him to be as good in 2020 as he was in 2019, unless he just gets better. Which right, is right. certainly a possibility considering he's 23 years old and he wouldn't have to get, he wouldn't have to improve by nearly as much as he did this past year to justify a second round pick. So, uh, so he's technically in my second round, but it's, uh, you know, I, I'm not totally sold on that. Devers is a guy that, doesn't hit lefties well. He has 743 OPS, which, which you know what? It's really not that big of a deal. Like, if you mash righties, you right. can get by with 743 OPS. 750 OPS for a lefty on lefty is, not is uh, yeah, it's not, it's not raising any red flags for me. He struggled down the stretch. He had a 705 OPS in his last 33 games. He stole eight bases in his first 60 games and then none in his last 96. So let's just assume we're not going to get much there. Um, but his hard contact rate, stinks it's uh it's like around a hundredth or something like that i have it somewhere in my notes um hard contact rate yeah whatever it's it's low um (laughs) so his profile and yeah the babbit was a 339 it was also 342 as a rookie so i don't know what you make of that it's been 342 281 339 but he just doesn't hit the ball that hard but then again he only hit 32 home runs it was the doubles he had 54 doubles Plate nah. discipline's not great. I don't know. He 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 doesn't seem like a guy who has the profile of a star, and yet he was the uh, he was the number four hitter in roto, number eight in points last year. I do have to point out, and this is one of those discrepancies that I don't totally understand. I know Chris has explained it before, and I still don't understand his explanation. But <laughs> um, the way Fangraphs and Statcast records hard hits is is different. Um, I'm not totally sure which I'd say is better. Statcast gets cited more often right now, just because that's where we are. Statcast says Rafael Devers had a top 20 hard hit rate and a top, it looks like 15 average exit velocity. So make of that what you will. Fangraph says his hard hit rate wasn't that great, though it looks like his medium hit rate was pretty high. Well, there you um, go. That's yeah. probably the discrepancy there. Maybe. Interesting. All right. Uh, third question. Should Glaber Torres be a third-round pick? Because this is a guy that I think could be hurt by a change in the baseball because he, he hit 26 doubles in 144 games. That's bad. He has one triple in his career. He stole five bases. He's not a batting average standout. He's not a plate discipline standout. But he had 38 home runs and drove in 90 with 96 runs in 144 games. So, and he's like Devers, 23 years old and could just get better. And he was at one point the top prospect in baseball, depending on you know your source. So, Torres is is interesting. He overachieved. Well, he had a great year, an unexpectedly great year, I'd say, last year. Um, mm-hmm. Should Glaber Torres be a third round pick? I have him in my third round. And and part of it is position scarcity because I think if you are going to play that game, second base is the position to do it at. Um, he did overachieve 
but it was the second straight year he overachieved and he didn't overachieve by nearly as much as he did the first year. He did cut down on his strikeouts in a noticeable way that second year. And I think the fact he's in what looks like clearly the deepest lineup in baseball elevates him beyond his numbers too. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he took a little step back next year, but not in a way that's going to make him not, not in a way that's going to make you disappointed. You uh, locked up your second base spot in the third round with him. And if he doesn't already have shortstop eligibility, he will by week one, it seems like he'll open as the starting shortstop for the Yankees. So that's a plus. Uh, A lot of guys have dual eligibility, but Torres will be one of them. And he hits a lot of fly balls in a good park to do it. And I just want to see where he bats in the order. I don't know how much it matters, but he's not a huge plate appearance guy. So, you know, we shall see. Uh, But Torres in the third round. So let let me just take a look at ADP here. Let, Let me toggle to second base. Would you rather have Glaber Torres in the third round or Cattell Marte in the fourth round? I would rather have Cattell Marte in the second round, frankly. Okay. That's where I have him going. So, yeah, that's Cattell Marte is one of those with a big asterisk for me when I look at the early ADP. Would you rather have Glaber Torres in the third round or DJ LeMahieu in the sixth round in a 12-team league? Probably LeMahieu. I mostly buy LeMahieu what he did, and uh, I would rather use that third-round pick on like an ace pitcher. Yeah, I think if, if LeMahieu is going in the seventh round in a points league, that would be a mistake because he's going to lead off for probably the best lineup in baseball, and he's not going to strike out much, and he's going to probably perform like a third-round pick, I would guess, in a points league. Just so many at-bats, run scored, get on base, whatever. Uh, okay, next question. Why does everyone hate Charlie Blackman? Charlie Blackman <laughs> is going in the fourth I, round. Hey, dude, I know. What a year I he had. Scr- this, this might be the biggest head scratcher for me, too, of, of <laughs> what I've seen from mock drafts I've taken part in and these ADP results. It doesn't make any sense. All I can figure is that people have decided he's getting old, and he is. I mean, he's going to be 34 this year, I think. Uh, but reversed some of the concerning trends that we saw heading into last season and had a season with first-round caliber numbers, 314 batting average, 32 home runs, 112 runs scored. I mean, he was Charlie Blackman, who has been basically a fixture in the first or, at worst, the second round for the past three years, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I don't, I don't know why... Uh, like I said, uh, when we were talking earlier about we're going to be asking these questions a lot. Why is this great hitter going this low? Somebody has to get pushed down. I don't know why Charlie Blackman is that guy. I can't. Again, I, how I'm could assuming you take, it's just because of his age, but it's not because of his production. Glaber Torres, sorry to interrupt you. How could you take Glaber Torres over Charlie Blackman? I just don't see a justification for it. You are talking about a lot of batting average points. Yeah, I don't either. I don't either. I did say I also have Glaber Torres going in my third round like ADP shows, but I have Blackman going at the end of the second, so right. I'm I'm with you there. Yeah, and he look, I, one thing that concerns me a little bit, and I've seen this before, and sometimes it matters, sometimes it doesn't, but uh, his first 28 games, he was 790 OPS, not very good for somebody who plays in cores. Next 42 games, he had a 1201 OPS. He had a 70-point fantasy week. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but Charlie Blackman <laughs> scored 70 points one week. 
batted 379 yeah. with 17 homers in a 42-game stretch. And that was a real big chunk of his season because his last 70 games, 7-0, he had an 8.35 OPS, which would be a huge letdown for Blackman. So, I, I mean, you can look at his season and say 42 games were incredible. 98 games were 8.30-ish, no, 8, 8.15-ish OPS. Maybe he, maybe that's bad. Like, And, and he's coming off a, a 2018 season where he had an 8.60 OPS and wasn't really that great. Right. I was more worried about Charlie Blackman going into last year than I am going into this year, especially since, uh, I mean, then he, he looked like Charlie Blackman peripherally, too. It's not like, it, it'd be one thing if you point to that 40-game stretch and, oh, okay, that's why the numbers were inflated in a way we've never seen before. But he was basically Charlie Blackman for the full season. And I remember we had... I one we had we had a guest on midseason and I, I think it was in the middle of during that hot stretch for Charlie Blackman and he you asked the question would you rather have Mookie Betts or Charlie Blackman rest of season and he chose Charlie Blackman so it's not like it's not like the industry had already written Charlie Blackman off at that point right. I thought it was crazy I thought it was Mookie Betts was the obvious answer but <laughs> I don't remember that at all you don't remember that? I, no. I, Bad I can't memory. remember who that was. So I probably shouldn't have brought that up either, but that's this is okay. where my mind goes. If you make that joke or that reference and I, that you always reference that I never remember and I always ask you what it is, like <laughs> once again, I have no idea what it's from. So I don't think so, Tim. No idea. Oh, it's Home Improvement? <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, all right, final question. Is Josh Bell a good value at 80th overall? He's going after Matt Olson, after Jorge Soler, after Victor Robles. Josh Bell was the fantasy MVP based on average draft position for the first half. He was on pace before the All-Star break. On pace for 302 batting average with 50 home runs and 155 RBIs. After the All-Star break, he batted 233 with 10 home runs in 55 games. He still had a basically one-to-one walk-to-strikeout ratio, which was good. But he was awful after the break. Obviously, it was the home run derby that got him. But is Josh Bell a good value at 80th overall? I mean, I have him 55th in this format we're talking about here. So I, I would say so just based on that. It's he, He's a very curious case, though, because when he had that monster first half, you looked at the 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 peripherals the the expected stats and it basically backed up what he was doing and yet he still had this significant decline in the second half bringing his numbers to a point where you know the season long numbers still look great and the expected numbers still back up what he was doing but obviously that didn't hold at the halfway point so are we sure it's going to hold going into next season i i don't I don't think we can be, but uh, 50 f- 55th overall, considering what his final numbers looked like, is still a pretty big discount, mm-hmm. you know? Right. I mean, he, he had a... It was mostly carried by that first half, but he had a studly season. Would you rather have Jorge Soler or, or Josh Bell in a vacuum? I have Soler 10 spots behind Bell. Okay. So... That's what I do, I think. Although I am going to, the, these full rankings aren't published yet, and I put them together in October. Um, I may have sobered up on some players. I may have some slight changes of opinion based on early 
ADP and, and stuff I've been seeing in mock drafts. So that's subject to change. But as of now, I'm going to say Bell. I read an article about Josh Bell on C.com. Would you like me to read the analysis there? For how, on what.com? C.com. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I would call that Sci, but what do yeah, I know? Sci.com, Sports Illustrated. Uh, so here's, it's long. Stop me when you get bored and I'll summarize. <laughs> In order to analyze Josh Bell at the plate, you must first acknowledge that he is a switch hitter. While he is significantly better from the left side of the plate, both from a power and average standpoint, his ability to swing from either side is a part of the Jekyll and Hyde story from last season. It appears as if teams were unaware or unconcerned with his preference for the left side, as they didn't seem to make much of an effort to force him to the right side of the plate early on. As you can see from the graph below, there was a more concerted effort by teams to match Bell up with left-handed pitchers in order to force him to his weaker side. While I could have stopped there after seeing Bell's splits between right and left-handed pitching, it didn't feel like the whole story, and it wasn't. It wasn't just who was pitching to Josh Bell that made a difference, but also how they were pitching to him. Early in the season, Bell feasted on first pitches, hitting 366 with 14 extra base hits. That makes sense considering 57.6% of first pitches to him last season were fastballs, and he's a good fastball hitter. So pitchers caught on, pitchers caught on to this, and you could see in the deviation from the original plan against Bell. After the All-Star break, he saw fastballs on only 49% of first pitches. It's not a huge decrease, but a bet on a fastball went from being a winning one to a losing one, and it kept Bell off balance. Pitchers starting th- started throwing more and more breaking balls and change up to, to Josh, excuse me, low in the zone, and at six foot four he had trouble reaching them. That's not all though. Remember when I said that Bell got more lefty matchups in the second half of the year? Well, already we went over how he struggles against lefties, but what's interesting is that it's a Southpaw's fastball that he has the hardest time with. With his bat speed being slower from the right side of the plate, it becomes more important that he is able to sit on the fastball and guess correctly. Considering the better mix from opposing pitchers during the second half of the season against Bell, he wasn't able to do that. He was 1-for-16 against lefty four-seamers in the second half of the season. The end. Wow, I got the whole article. Well read. Not the entire yeah, I didn't thing, get bored once. But most of it. It was actually interesting, right? They pitched him differently. They made him face more lefties. They went down in the zone. He struggled against left-handed fastballs. So all things that he'll have the offseason to adjust to, but obviously an explanation that I had never seen before. And yep. not something that's so apparent when you just, you know, look at his player page. <laughs> I can't wait for switch hitting to go away because it just introduces these obscure variables. I mean, they're they're basically a different player from each side of the plate, and that makes it it hard to Why would it go uh, reconcile. Away? Why would it go away, Scott? Because this always happens. I, I it seems to be becoming less of a trend. Maybe that is that my imagination. I don't know, but it's not going away. Switch hitters are here to stay. It's, good. it's no, it's going away. <laughs> it's, it's more of a it's more of a specialization game these days. Adam, come on. Maybe it's All going right, we, away. We got some emails. Uh, oh, you want to you want to talk about that? Yes. Okay. I want to chime in with one thing because it was mostly July that was just terrible for Josh Bell. Final thirty-seven games, which is August and September, he had a nine hundred OPS basically hit. About 260. Clearly wasn't first half Josh Bell, but was a good hitter again. And, um, you know, that was with the 245 Babip. So he already may have started to adjust. Okay. Hope so. Good stuff. Thank you to SI.com. Logan from Wisconsin has our first email. 
at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. I play in a 12-team points league with five outfielders. Help me with my keepers. After speaking with other owners, a lot of top pitchers are going to be kept, and I'm already keeping Christian Yelich. So give me three more in a points league between Rendon, Blackman, Bryce Harper, Patrick Corbin, and Mike Clevenger. Round does not matter. Pick three. Rendon, Blackman, Harper, Corbin, Clevenger. I think you keep Rendon. I think you keep Corbin and Clevenger. Okay. Clevenger over Corbin, but you know. Uh, From Nick, 12-team points keeper league. The keeper length is dependent on how late the player was drafted. And waiver wire pickups get one year to be kept. So pick six of them. Woo, here we go. Six. Four years for Chris Paddock. Yes. Three years for Tatis. Three years for Pete Alonso. Two years for Eloy. One year for Glaber Torres. One year for Ray Amuto. One year for Barrios. One year for Soroka. One year for Castellanos. One year for Kyle Hendricks. Okay, so some of these clearly didn't need to be included. Yeah. But, um,. Well, six is a high number. Let's see how far we get. Obviously, Paddock for four years. Obviously, more obviously, Tatis for three years. Alonzo for three years. Uh, Jimenez for three years. Two years. Two years. And the last two one-year guys, I'm going to say Glaber Torres and JT Realmuto. You only have one pitcher. You have Chris Paddock. Mm -hmm. Would you like to maybe go with Barrios or Soroka? No, no, I wouldn't. I am not. Given the caliber of player I'd be passing up, which is, for me, the number three second baseman and the number one catcher, or the number two catcher. I have Sanchez over Rimlutu, but it's close. Um, I don't think Barrios or Soroka is enough of a slam dunk pitcher to, uh, to justify passing them up. Though, obviously, I would be looking to get gobble up pitching early in the draft. This is from Matt. Hey, buddy, pal, and guy. First, I really enjoy the show with Ellen Adair. You should have her on as often as she'll agree to it. <laughs> okay. We yeah. enjoyed it, too. Um, I will. We will definitely have her back on. Keep one in a 10-team points league. Flaherty for three years at 28 33 and $38. Oof. Or Woodruff, Lynn, or Luke Weaver. Luke Weaver for three years. Again, for $6, $11, and $16. So I'm guessing that's Flaherty versus Woodruff if you're picking one mm-hmm. of those. Li- right, so it's Flaherty at 28, 33, and 38 for the next three years, or it's Woodruff at 6, 11, and 16 for the next three years. And Matt says, as I'm writing it, I feel dumb. It's obviously Woodruff due to Flaherty's price. The moral of the story is Ellen Adair is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> she is awesome. Um I don't know that this is so obvious, though. No, it's not obvious. I am, and I, I I recently did a top 50 keepers based on ADP from the year before. So the idea was it wasn't just how good the player is, but what the cost is to keep him. And I found myself gravitating more toward the the known studs for the higher dollar amount than the questionable studs at a bigger discount. And I think Woodruff is definitely more questionable than Flaherty, who I have in the top 10 at starting pitcher. And a top 10 starting pitcher in a small points league, 10 teams, is going to go for a huge price. I have no doubt about that. He might 
he might go for $40 or more. Um, so I kind of talked to myself into Flaherty, I think, there, though. It's really close for me. Woodruff does seem like a bigger discount, and I mostly believe in him, but I'm not as sold on his greatness as Flaherty's. From No Name, Dear Itchy, Scratchy, and Poochie. By the way, Scott, my uh, my friend got a Bort keychain from Universal Studios. Bort? Yeah, remember that episode from Hitching Scratch? Yeah, yeah, I remember. That. I was trying to, I was trying to act oh, out no, the scene, but I don't really remember the lines. Come along, so again, Bort. I probably shouldn't have brought it up. It's come along, Bort. Are you talking to me? No, my son is also named Bort. And then later, I, I, we're I, out of Bort license plates in the in the gift shop. We're out of Bort. Oh license. yeah, 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 yeah they yeah. say that over the intercom. Right, yeah, right. yeah. I, I see. I knew you'd come up with it. Oh yeah, you got. I got you. I have we talked about how pissed off I am at Disney Plus for stealing The Simpsons from FX now. I can't watch The Simpsons anymore. Well, I am. We haven't, no. Well, we have now. I'm in a keeper league. Would you rather hold on to Puig, Hanager, or Gavin Lux? Same price. Puig, Hanager, Gavin Lux. I would rather hold on to Gavin Lux. Gavin Lux. I may I, I may rank Puig a little ahead of him in uh, redraft leagues, but obviously Lux... The long-term, the potential long-term impact there puts him over the top. We don't know where Puig's going to play yet either. I assume he's going to be an everyday player wherever he goes, but he's always been. There's always a mercurial situation there. Yes, mercurial. Uh, finally, Joe in Syracuse. Yeah, mercurial. That's yeah. That's, uh, C check. Twelve team. Oh, he says, "Hey, Joe in Syracuse says, hey, Anthony, Deontay, and Manuel." I had it. You're googling. Yeah, I'm, gearing, I'm googling Mercurial. Oh, that's like subject flighty. to sudden or unpredictable changes of mood or mind. Yeah, yeah his playing time is Mercurial. That works. I his, did. Oh, it. his playing time is Mercurial. I thought you were saying he's mer- Mercurial. I don't know well, that I would cr- characterize his playing time as Mercurial. I've never heard that. That's almost like personification. Well, the whole thing, the whole Puig, Puig is you know, yes. the whole Puig situation mm-hmm. is Mercurial. <laughs> the Dodgers the Dodgers did weird things with his playing time. They hit him eighth sometimes and Yeah, I know yeah, it's weird. I'm yeah. going with it. Uh Anthony Deontay Emmanuel appear to be UFC fighters. Twelve team points league, or maybe they're boxers, I don't know. I'm in a twelve team points league. I can keep three vets, two rookies, and a minor leaguer. So pick three of these veterans. Uh Real Muto, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Garrett Cole. Corbin, Kershaw, Syndergaard. Okay, three veterans. I am going with Cole. Yes. Duh. Uh, I'm going <laughs> with Patrick Corbin. Right. And... JT Realmuto, very good. <laughs> right? No, point, no, points league, I'm going with Rizzo. He's, okay. The, the strikeout to walks there really set him apart in that format. Okay, all right, fine. Uh, rookie choices. Pick two of these. Keston Hira, uh, Jordan or Jordan Alvarez, Brian Reynolds, and Aristides Aquino. Oh, come on. Two of them, it's going to be Alvarez and Hira. Yeah, that's that's an easy one. And one minor leaguer. Don't have to keep one. You can keep one for a 13th round pick if you choose. And it's Dustin May. Would you keep Dustin May for a 13th round pick? Um... We don't know if this discount applies long term, do we? I'm going to assume it doesn't, and I'm going to say no. 
Also, I'm wondering the 13th round pick is that like after the five keepers? So it's really yeah. kind of like an 18th. So it's an 18th pick? round pick. Then you probably want that would to do that it. would change it. Yeah. That would change it. Okay. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thanks everybody for the emails. Thanks, Scott White. Good to have you back. Yeah. Good to be back. And can I you only please... missed one podcast, right? How many? You act like I've been. Well, you missed two weeks. I think we only did one show. But can you yeah. please go see Uncut Gems so I can talk about it with someone? <laughs> it's only I, I can't I can't tell you how many Facebook ads I've seen for Uncut Uncut Gems over the past six months. It's good. I feel like when is this movie coming out? It's out. <laughs> it's out. It's yeah. out. It's out there, baby. And KG. you're loving every minute of it. KG. KG. I got, I'm working on the accent. Yeah, you'll see. All right. Uh, later, everybody. Talk to you next week on Fantasy Baseball Today. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.